Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Taylor, joined by Josh Brown. Oh, hello, Scott. Oh, hello. I'm Kirsten Rea. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. Now, <laughs> we're going to do a, a full, well, we're going to do the middle of this podcast talking about all sorts of bugs and glitches and things that we hate that I feel like have dogged this generation across the board. <laughs> um, but I also want to open with some uh, questions. Now, you can go over to the hashtag WCGP over on Twitter, leave your own thoughts, and whatever you'd like us to get to, and we'll get to bits and bobs at the beginning and the end of most episodes. So we're just going to do some quick uh, questions for the beginning of this one. Um, first question from Dom1582, who says, what is the most beautiful game you've ever played? Uh, well, this makes me go to Uncharted and Naughty Dog stuff, but I'm actually going to go with Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, I know that game has some textural issues and some flowers don't load in when they really need to, but um, just in terms of sheer rendering, the character models, the, the frame rate for the most part holds up, all the particle effects and the spells and the summons, I adore that game. Uh, how about you, Josh? Um, well, honestly, Final Fantasy VII is, is up there. That thing looks absolutely gorgeous. In all the cutscenes, it doesn't really matter if the textures are bad in the background because mm. the trade-off you get is some of the you know highest quality character models, like you said, I've ever seen. Cloud looks amazing. Why did yeah. how is his face so perfect? Never mind, <laughs> you know, like Aerith or anyone else in the game. So yeah, that would be up there for me because the vistas are lovely. But I think it has to be Red Dead Redemption 2, which yeah. I will bang on about all the time because even though that doesn't have the, you know the most groundbreaking character models are the best, you know, facial animation. It, it creates this almost um, picturesque kind of backdrop with every single frame. Like for an open world game, it feels so directed when you're, you know, you're in the wilderness and you're looking at these lovely vistas in the background mm. and you've got the, the thunder coming in. It's, it's the best skybox I've ever seen in a game. And I think mm. it adds so much to, uh, to the painterly quality of it that every <laughs> single time I just... I stop and look around. I think this is magnificent. Didn't they uh, say that they were inspired by like old like Western oil paintings and stuff? Because it is like yeah. pause it at any second, it just looks absolutely lush. Yeah, landscape paintings. I think they said, and that absolutely bleeds in. As soon as you know that bit of trivia, it's like this. This whole art direction now suddenly <laughs> makes sense because I remember mm. the first time you know you you leave your camp in Valentine and you get to like the big rolling hills in the background and like the valleys and stuff. And I just remember thinking that looked gorgeous, and I couldn't <laughs> wait to climb them. <laughs> did they did they put a photo mode in Red Dead too? They did, and it's beautiful, Scott. It's magnificent. We, we've talked about the photo mode many times before, so I love I that you've forgotten that. I don't know anything before the current time. And even then, it feels like yesterday was a year ago. So yes. not to worry. Uh, Kirsten, what is the best looking, most beautiful game you've ever played? Um, in my eyes, it has to be the Bioshock games, where that's one, two, Ooh. and infinite. I just, oh, I love them. I just think that, uh, when I, I remember when I first played Bioshock, and you, and again, this is when it first came out, so it wasn't like 
as it's not like a HD remaster like what we have now, but it still just blew me away when you are lowering down into Rapture and just all the lights and there's like fish and whales swimming around and, and there's like neon lights and, and everything's like art deco, but like the fifties and oh, it's just beautiful. It blew me away. And then even in infinite, like that caught me completely off guard because it's all kind of like, you know, you're in the sky, but there's, it's more sort of um like, there's like churches and it's like a cult and mm. there's like these beautiful um, candles and buildings and churches and cathedrals and statues and oh, just everything about Bioshock is just fantastic to me. I just, it, I could just sit there and especially as I have a huge fear of the ocean, it doesn't make sense as to why that would appeal to me, but mm. I just think it's, it's beautiful just seeing these massive fish fly overhead and um, the coral and oh, I love it. I, 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 if I could live underwater, it would be lovely. <laughs> I would a million percent back a fear of the ocean. I don't know why, but I hate the idea of a giant expanse of stuff that if I get stuck yeah. in it, I can't get out of it or I'm too far mm -hmm. away to get back to land. It's a bad time. Um, a yeah. quick question from Trotty XD. What are your thoughts on the Kill All Humans remake slash remaster? I don't know if you guys were Kill All Humans fans. I think it's Destroy yeah. All Humans, actually, not Kill All Humans. Oh, Destroy All Humans. Oh, <laughs> yes, with the aliens. Yeah, the little dude. Uh, I forgot what the hell that guy was called, but he looked like the Area, like area 51 standard is... thing. It's like Necro or Necron or something like that. Um, but anyway, Josh did... <laughs> that that was... for, for me, that was always a game that I just saw in shops and played around a friend's house. Like I, I loved it when I played it, but it was never a game I owned. It was always one of those, you know, after school, I'd, I'd go around my mate Kyle's and we'd, we'd play like GTA Vice City, we'd play that, and we'd play mm. some co-op shooters probably. So I associated that with my childhood, but always mm. at arm's length. So I don't know whether I'll play it now, if that makes sense. Although I do, yeah. you know, have a have a major fondness for it still. Two things. One, that character's called Crypto. I'd never Yes, I just remember, I was going to say, I was like, it's Crypto, it's Crypto! <laughs> <laughs> it's so close. Um, and the other thing, I don't know if you guys played Stubbs, um, Stubbs yes. the Zombie. Yeah, yes. see, give me, give now, me Stubbs. Like, where's that? Give me Stubbs. Bring it back. <laughs> Let's start a petition. Destroy all humans. Fine. Good. Uh -huh. Okay. Sure. Sure. Some people out there liked it. Stubbs the zombie. Let Stubbs me zombie. I... into a tank. I mean, look, I, I like the idea. Stubbs. Oh, Stubbs was, Stubbs was like, I'm sure Bioware made it or someone who you wouldn't oh. expect. Bungie or something. Sorry, not Bioware. I'm sure Bungie made it. Someone who you wouldn't expect made Stubbs the zombie where you just play <laughs> as a dude and you can resurrect other zombies and you can pick your head off and throw your head at people. And it was great. What? And um, I get that in Destroyal Humans, you can throw cows at people, but it's just not oh, the same. God. As what I want. Um, last quick question from Maxine Sternhorn. What is a game that you all love that most people hate? Um, now, this is hard. We've done this as a chatty face thing before. Um, actually, it's, it's hard. It's, it's rare that I love like a proper B or C tier thing. But I, I love the old Blood Omen games, uh, Blood Omen 2, um, which is one mm -hmm. of the Legacy of Kane games where you play as the evil dude, uh, Kane. And uh, I get that, like they never played that well. But you can, you know, you can go into mist form and you can punch a guy so hard from behind that you punch their heart out and you show them <laughs> their heart, and then you drop it on the floor and then they die. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever when I was like eight. So I don't know about <laughs> you guys though, what you would have instead. That's um... pretty cool. But I th well, Scott, we must have talked about this before. What you think so? There's something you must have hated that I've loved. Is it hard? It's hard, it's hard to pick out because I, I can't. I can't remember. It's um, different if it's something that I hate that you love because I don't like most things. But it depends. <laughs> depends what it is. I just I like to try and be all be all critical um, about it. 
Yeah, I don't know. might have to come back to this one. I don't. Yeah, we yeah. Can Stubbs, the, Stubbs the zombie, probably. Tricks <laughs> 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 didn't like that at the time. So I don't know if uh, yeah, I don't know if Stubbs reviewed very well. And Josh, you love the uh, the Animal Crossing uh, two player mode. You're a big fan of hanging out as a second player on the island in, in New Horizons, and most people hate that. That is true. I will defend that until the day I die. That is some of the best social gaming I've had in a long time, even <laughs> if there is a bit of resentment at my girlfriend that she's taken over the town and started a dictatorial um, you know, regime, regime based around <laughs> making me have no bells. So that's Can, fine. Okay. Is it possible for her to make a, a ring of river that would lock you in and then you can't get anywhere? Well, she's just unlocked the ability to terraform the island. So that is probably what's in store for me when I log on later today. So yeah, <laughs> I assume so. Like one of those prank videos where you wake up on a bed and you're in the middle of a lake and just, you just got to deal with it. That's just what it is. Anyway, the uh, the meat of this podcast was inspired by inspired by Fallout 76 um, because as much as the Wastelanders update is this giant overhaul and they've added NPCs and they've kind of changed the quest design around in regards to all the like the fetch questy stuff doesn't come in until after the first few hours and you do get to have more of like a old school Fallout experience at the beginning. Um, that game is still a big old mess and there's already so many glitch compilations and just character models bugging out um, you know, textures going all over the place. I, things where even if you look through um, like one doorway to another room, it's just a black void and stuff like that. Um, and so I wanted to do a, a general sort of discussion on the idea of bugs and glitches and how we've kind of got used to them across this generation. But I feel like it kind of goes hand in hand with that question we just had about beautiful looking games um, and stuff like Final Fantasy VII, Red Dead, um, you know, Uncharted and Naughty Dog and things like that. They've pushed the bar so much that I kind of want to ask you guys, do you think that that level of bugs and glitches and like a lack of polish from something like Fallout, is that still acceptable at all? Or like, where do you kind of come down on it? I guess, Kirsten, we should start with you. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not acceptable, really, is it? Because mm. it's a game that you are paying a lot of money for. I think when you kind of forgive it in a way when they're like goofy glitches and they make you laugh because you're like, oh, this is really silly. But then you remember like, oh, wait, I paid 60 quid for this game and it's unplayable. And mm. That's what I think is just unacceptable about it is when it gets to the point where you it completely ruins the experience. It's not funny anymore. It's mm -hmm. just it's yeah, it's just unplayable. And so you can't actually enjoy the game that they have hyped up so much. And I remember them seeing the trailer for it and I thought, oh my god, I can't wait for a new fallout. And then I just didn't buy it purely because I just the amount of glitches that people were talking about and the fact that there was like no NPCs and you were literally just in this vast wasteland of nothing. And it just seems so cheeky to just charge someone so much money to for a pretty much an uncompleted, bugged out game. It doesn't mm -hmm. make any sense to me. It's like paying full price for like a, like an early access. Like because mm. I think that I mean I've got a list. We can get to some stuff later of like the likes of WWE 2K20 or Assassin's Creed Unity, like games that really landed in horrible states and were still sold for full price. Um, and that idea of like yeah, you're you're you are essentially buying into an early access program even if you don't realize it. Mm. Um, and it's just like yeah, like and, and price is a huge thing too. Like the like the cost of um, Fallout 76 back at launch is the same as something that is uber polished, like a Red Dead 2 or something like that. Um, Josh, what do you think? Yeah, I think we see stuff like this come in waves. You mentioned Assassin's Creed Unity then. Uh, that was like, like a big talking point, obviously, back in the day about, okay, this has gone too far, we need to sort this out. And then mm. Ubisoft, for their efforts, for a while, started to sort this out. But then you slip back into old habits where that becomes acceptable again. And then you get you know a Ghost Recon breakpoint, which we mentioned <laughs> in the news the other day, which has again caused that company to... Um, you know, kind of look at their catalog and say, oh, look, we can't push these games out anymore. The release dates aren't the most important thing. So I feel like we hit this point every few years and it's difficult mm. 
when it's when it is excused and when old habits are kind of you know fallen back into i think the excuse that a lot of publishers had for for a long time was you know we're making these massive sandbox games we're making huge rpgs so obviously we can't um you know pick up on every single bug and we know that publishers and developers have what they call shippables which are bugs that they know exist but they don't have the time to get to before launch and if they don't break the game then the game can go out and it's fine and i feel like we need to get away from that mentality like if a game is not ready a game's not ready and mm. you can't make a first impression more than once for as for as much as the likes of you know destiny bounced back from perhaps a disappointing disappointing launch experience they more or less have had to drag themselves, you know, tooth and nail for a full year before they got the player base back and they got mm -hmm. people to trust them again. And I don't think it's worth the hassle. Like, it's, well, especially with the way you know we don't accept it like we used mm -hmm. to, so it's not it's not worth it. A couple of things from that, like, where do you guys come down on? Yeah, games that do sort themselves out over time have they like have they used up their first impression? Like, isn't like No Man's Sky for me is the most high profile mm -hmm. example of something that has yeah. took, taken years to become like a genuinely recommendable thing. I always like what they were going for at launch, but like now it is this big robust thing. Um, and Fallout's trying to get there, but where do you come down on that idea of like depending on how something's been sold, like will you give a game another chance or is it just like come on, like I spent the money or you know mm -hmm. I, in this case like I didn't spend the money but you you blew your chance. Like how do you mm -hmm. feel about that? stuff yeah i think i think if you've already spent that money then you you kind of have to give it that chance because like i said the money's gone it's, it's at mm. that point you're like well i've spent my money so you have to fix it because i will enjoy this game this is what i've paid for but i think for people like me for example who hasn't bought the game um it's gonna take a lot for me to actually purchase it because it's like it's still for me in my eyes it's still way too expensive to to pay for and for me to play i feel like it's still mm. too buggy and it's not it's not redeemed itself to the point where i'm like yeah i'll happily play 60 quid for it no like <laughs> they need to admit for their they need to take responsibility for the mistakes that have been made yeah they fixed it and it's starting to get back to that point of being playable again but like people still aren't going to trust them enough to completely hand over all this money and be like, oh, yeah, okay, like, if you say so, like, no, mm -hmm. at least give us, like, some sort of, like, discount or be like, yeah, we screwed up here, you know, we'll, we'll knock £30 off or £20 off, like, at least do something like that. But to be able mm -hmm. to charge full price still, I just think it's really, like, I, I'm not... I'm not happy with it. Still. I think um, consumer trust is a massive thing as well. Like there's certain devs that you kind of trust will give you a polished product. Like for as much as um, CD Projekt Red were like kind of, it, it's weird, like Witcher 3 obviously is one of the best games of the generation, but it didn't launch very well necessarily compared to in these kind of kind of conversations. Like there was that whole downgrade controversy compared to the trailers that were shown earlier. Um, and I was always happy with the version that we got, but I didn't, I, I could see if you were hung up on the stuff that they showed beforehand that you could be like, what the hell, this isn't what it was before. Um, you know, and the Witcher had its share of bugs as well from like roach levitating over the place to like even Geralt's <laughs> legs betraying him and stuff um but yeah josh when you come down on all of this stuff well it's it's interesting you mentioned the witcher 3 because yeah that did have a lot of performance issues like when you got, went into the cities in that game at launch the frame rate would just tank things mm. would be prob like problematic but i think it's almost case by case it's just kind of uh, it's kind of whether or not you think a game's taken the piss you know what i mean it's like <laughs> if, if the game's good in the game's ambitious and it's sort of struggling under that ambition, but everything else is, you know, firing off and it's really enjoyable. You can almost forgive it, especially if it's mm. something like, you know, the frame rate or a couple of weird bugs that don't necessarily 
great quest or something. But if the game's bad and it has them, you have far less patience for it. You know what I mean? You yeah. are you are far eager to kind of be like, look, the game itself isn't good. So then there's all these bugs. So what? Something's gone wrong at a fundamental mm-hmm. level. Um, mm-hmm. I'm actually quite the opposite to Kirsten though, in a way, because for me, if I buy a game at launch for full price and it's no good, and then they fix it later on down the line, I almost wash my hands with them. You know what I mean? I've put the hours <laughs> in at launch and, they, and they've disappointed me. So why do they deserve another go, whether it's good or bad? I'm, I'm more um, inclined to buy something pre-owned or something after the fact when all the updates have been added like no man's mm. sky i will buy that one day no you won't um, stop saying I will. You, will. <laughs> you won't I'm, ever buy I'm it i'm going to buy it one <laughs> day um fallout 76 i always um think that i will finally boot that game up you know what i mean but something like anthem if that ever gets better <laughs> remember that it's back it's back we're coming back to anthem if that game yeah. ever gets better i'm going to remember the six hours i put into it at launch and the disappointment I had. And it's hard to get away from that first impression. Yeah. But I'm not saying I'm right. You know what I mean? I think <laughs> you can you can um, enjoy that things change. And it's good that the developers put it in the air, the hard work. But the first impressions are important. And it's hard mm-hmm. from a personal level to shake them off. But I guess presumably you'll be buying Ghost Recon Breakpoint as well. <laughs> like based on the super deluxe version that thing will turn into. Scott Telford, no joke. But it's in the sale <laughs> currently. And I've been eyeing it up. Whether you fix it. I will get on with that with my friend and we might have a good time. I don't know. That friend will not be me. It's, uh, <laughs> um, I guess like in terms of that, like that's one of the ways that you can kind of show developers that like, look, this stuff isn't okay or show publishers and, and studios in general that, you know, if their player numbers get completely savaged, like, and no one comes back, they put all the time and effort into saving something further down the line and then no one comes back for it. It does kind of prove that that business model is, is broken. Like it's not really going to work itself out. And one of the only ways to recoup funds at that time when so much time has passed, um, cause you have sale prices for the, the unit sales is to either inject a microtransaction storefront or mm-hmm. i don't know try and do some dlc practice or something like that um well, i was gonna say as well do you remember like the in the 2000s or when we were younger when we played games when we were kids and stuff i just don't remember glitches being that big of a deal on the same scale that they are or have been this Bye. generation hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. And that's something that, like, you noticed, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, the difference is there were no patches back then. Once you mm-hmm. printed something to a disc, for the most part, you had to live with that. So if there was a game-breaking bug, you would have yeah. to recall all the copies and make new copies, and that's an expensive thing to do. Now mm-hmm. we have so much more leeway when it comes to everything being online that if your game's broken at launch, you can perhaps have it fixed that same night if, if the coders are working around the clock. So I just think there's, there's more leeway because nothing's set in stone anymore. Everything is malleable. Everything is constantly in flux. And if the... The consequence of putting out a game that is totally broken is not mm. as high as it once was because you can change it, you can fix mm. it, whereas you probably couldn't back when we were younger, which is why things were more polished. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I like that, I, that, like you said, the sheer reality of the fact that what you're putting out has to be your best work. And it's not that the teams, the art, like the creatives aren't doing their absolute best, but somewhere along the way, that idea that like, ah, we can fix it later, we can, we can patch it in later, or like we have to hit this date or something like that. Like those conversations have obviously been had. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, like I said, I feel like it's become endemic of this generation. Um, but yeah, Kirsten, what were your, how much did glitches and patches or bugs and stuff kind of affect you when you were playing when you were younger? Yeah, I mean, I don't really remember sort of small, goofy glitches, really. It was more, yeah, the game-breaking glitches that, that you would kind of get. So, yeah, it wasn't – but, but to be honest, obviously, they're a lot worse. And like you said, you they couldn't really fix them back then. So if you did have a game-breaking glitch, it was like, well, I guess I'm never finishing that now. I think I remember <laughs> Resident Evil 4, I had, like, a game-breaking glitch where – um, all of the text- textures just stopped loading for some reason. Nice. Um, so everything was just like black and I couldn't interact with anything. Um, and so, yeah, I couldn't actually complete Resident Evil 4 until it was um, re-released uh, on like Xbox and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, it was quite crazy to sort of get <laughs> so far into a game and then be like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll never know what happens. Then. Mm. And yeah, and it's um, taken it this long for me to finally know what's going on because, they, mm. like I said, nowadays we do, they're just like, oh, here you go, here's a quick patch, that's fixed, you can carry on now. Uh, mm. But does that make it acceptable nowadays? I don't know. It does still seem a bit cheeky to to completely give you a, an unfinished game and be like, we'll fix it later, don't worry. Because like mm. Josh said, that there are people that have that first impression. It's like, why would I play a game that's completely broken? I'm not going to let you just completely chuck out random fixes every now and then when someone puts their hand up going excuse me it's not working anymore mm-hmm. it's it's not acceptable i think yeah i think it's always like a push and pull like i mean yeah there are <clears throat> some examples of like obviously game development does continue past launch that like, there's going to be things that are patched in there's things that get changed but for me it, it is like a delicate line and i don't know whether i get hung up too much on like the artistic side of it where i'm like okay you have a, a set of creatives and they made something and that's their work and you're going to go play this thing and take it in and you know form your opinion and, and whatever um <clears throat> the idea that something is constantly in flux kind of always messes with that and I, I love the idea of obviously being able to patch things and like tweak stuff going forward and you have games as a service and stuff like that but i guess like yeah where do you come down on like how much the idea of that idea of patches being an an inevitability of things like changing going forward like does that change the appeal based on like launch like would you kind of always just hold off like if you find yourselves waiting and not getting as many day one releases well, it's, it's funny, right? A lot smarter people than me have always said that the, the game that launches at launch is always the worst version of that game, you know what I mean? Because whether it's more DLC, whether it's a drop in price, whether it's fixes, the game is fundamentally going to be better 
after like months after it after it comes out it mm -hmm. and for me i've never been able to shift that because i love buying things at launch for me the excitement is part of the um you know part of the appeal but i understand that that excitement has almost been weaponized by certain publishers expecting <laughs> you to buy into it you know what i mean like mm -hmm. they they know people are going to want to be in the conversation at launch so they they know that we're going to overlook a certain amount of polish that might mm -hmm. not be there and kind of understand that we aren't getting the best version of the game but we're getting the earliest version of the game we're going to be one of the first people to play it we're going to enjoy it and we're going to have a fun time the the early thing as well i mean ea started the whole like two days early three days early like that idea of just i don't know like early being the thing that they can just cash in on and focus on and be like look as long as you're getting it early that makes it okay and you know like mm. somewhere in there i think they expect that bugs and glitches will be okay because people understand like vague terms around early access or getting it early or patches and stuff like that but i think that like I said, over time, I think um, they have just started to take the pizzazz with it. And I just think there's yeah. so many examples of games that clearly just shouldn't have been shipped. And obviously Fallout 76 is, is one of them. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Kirsten, what do, you, like, have you, do you tend to buy day one anyway? Or do you, would you wait and be a more, <laughs> more um, as a conservative purchaser? It depends on the game. If it's a game that I have always been in love with, like if it was a Bioshock game, Resident Evil, Dishonored, something like that that I've always been a fan of and I've always bought the game, then yeah, I will buy it as soon as it's released. Um, but like you said, I think with early access games, you, you have that kind of um, knowledge already. You think, well, it might not be 100% polished, but that's okay because it is early access. But when you are buying a game on launch, you do expect it to be at least relatively... Um, polished i guess but like because you know that if they're releasing then then it must be finished um but i mean i've never really had the experience apart from with state of decay 2 in which <laughs> i um i really loved the first one so as soon as the second one came out i was like yeah, yeah yeah i'll buy it and that's the first time that i have bought a game that has not been my favorite game but something i've enjoyed and i bought on launch and was just very sorely disappointed i think i played it for about an hour until i realized that I wasn't going to progress because of a game breaking bug. And so I was just like, oh, okay. I've been wandering around trying to figure out what to do. And there is nothing to do because <laughs> it's broken. Um, so yeah, it took a good long while for me to forgive that game, but I'm okay with it now. We've, we've put the bad thing behind us. Um, but yeah, I, I, I usually try to wait for games that I'm not, that I like, but I'm not um, obsessed with. And um, mm -hmm. that seems to pay off um, quite well for me. <laughs> You spurred a memory. Oh, oh, man. I, I've just been reminded of something from that story there that's almost sent me into a fit of rage. I remember getting a <laughs> Fallout New Vegas on launch weekend. One of oh, my favorite God. games of all time. Top five, dead or alive. Mm -hmm. And that was notoriously full of bugs. You know, you had the doctor's head spinning around at the beginning. <laughs> there was this one game-breaking thing where to get into the New Vegas Strip, which obviously is what the entire game is, you know, kind of focused around. That's the main mm -hmm. hub area. You had to wear a specific cowboy hat otherwise it would crash when you went to the loading screen into the next part <laughs> obviously no at the time nobody knew about that fix or that workaround there was just a game breaking bug every single time you had to get into the main area so i was just kind of sat there two days in really enjoying really enjoying myself thinking well i can't i can't follow the main story now mm -hmm. what am i supposed to do i have to just wait around until either someone finds a workaround like the cowboy hat or someone actually fixes it and when you look into the development of that game more and more you kind mm. of you feel sorry for the developers because mm. bethesda which i'm sure we'll talk about quite a lot because i think they are they they have been the developer that and, and publisher that's really sort of fallen from grace in regards mm -hmm. to this if it was a flag to fly yeah. they're flying yes. it very high 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you look into the development of New Vegas and you realize that Obsidian had 18 months to build a game that Bethesda usually makes in four years, you know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. it's undeniable and it's unsurprising that there are so many bugs that spring from that, you know what I mean? When you're a sucker for a release date, when you have a release date set in stone and you have to hit that by any means necessary, of course things are going to be broken and of course mm-hmm. things are going to ship in an unfinished state, which sucks when it comes to a game like New Vegas because that had real ramifications for the team and for people you know it was critically i think it scored one meta one metacritic score under what it needed for the team to get a bonus which apparently had yeah severe financial effects so when these bugs are taken into account like that it has real ramifications for the teams it has real ramifications for the games has real ramifications for the games kind of reception new vegas obviously is deemed perhaps the greatest fallout ever made now but it took a long time for it to get there yeah it took a lot of commitment from people to overlook the issues that it almost definitely still has Mm-hmm. Yeah. We should um, factor like scope in as well because I like like you said the bigger the game the more potential for it to go wrong. I remember um, uh, there's a developer called Dave Lang who I think still works for Iron Galaxy um, and he was talking about like you know you have to think of the games uh, like the matrix of potential. It's like if you're going over here and you're picking this item up, um, you know then like that can be put down X then somewhere else and it depends where it's going to be put on. You need to think about what that item is made of and it geo meshes with everything else and it's like this affects this affects this. And he's like you apply that to something like Fallout or you know any sort of open world. RPG and there are millions and millions of permutations of things that can mm-hmm. go wrong, um, and so that tended to be the that tended to be the fallback for in Fallout uh, in Bethesda's case. It was like, well, no one else is doing this to this level of detail, and we have to expect that this is things are just going to go wrong. And then for me, CDPR and, and The Witcher came along, and I said like Witcher Three, you know, might have launched with a few bugs in terms of certain animation glitches and stuff. But for me, the CDPR kind of proved that you can do something as massive as that and have it be as interactive as that. And I know it doesn't have the the junk system as like of Fallout Four. But you can have a massive open world RPG and, and have it be pretty damn polished. Like for me, mm. it, it it rolls back around into talking about Bethesda again. But I guess it's just that that question of scope. Like, do you think the overall game scope needs to be reined in in regards to some projects, or it's just if if not, then it's a case of extending release dates to make it work. Yeah, I don't think it's a, it's a it's a case of necessarily reining the scope in because we've seen games of you know mad scope and mad, mad ambition be very polished. I think it is just. Publishers especially, not understanding the reality of what that means for release dates and schedules and work and stuff like that. Mm. Of course, it's going to you know, take far longer to make a Fallout 3 than it is to make, I don't know, more Dead Space 1 or something like that. Not saying like there's more passion put into one than the other, but the sheer size of it, the sheer, like you said, the, the sheer permutations of things the player can do need to be accounted for, and that's a lot of mm-hmm. manpower. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I've mentioned it a few times, I'm getting sick of the point, to be honest, I keep mentioning it. But <laughs> when people are, um, you know, it's, it's publishers putting release dates in, saying, you have two years to make this game. Make it, please, and hopefully we can ship it then. And if it's broken, well, it's broken, and we're going to have to deal with it then. Like, that's just a weird mentality to, to kind of live by and because create just- things by. Yeah, if you're just kind of like counting the numbers, like counting the unit sales, looking at the costs and stuff, especially on digital purchases, there's no refund structure like outside of like sometimes a couple of weeks um, at the most. And even that's dependent on how much game time you've had before you apply for the refund. Um, so if you're just looking for unit sales and stuff, then it's like, ah, well, you know, we shipped this much, we cashed in, um, you know, you can patch it later. That'll please the fan base. Like that's it. The, the mainstream spotlight yeah. moves on to the next thing and everything just kind of carries on, which mm-hmm. I think is why it's become such a massive like snowballing problem. Um, but it's, yeah, that I do. Actually, yeah, I was going to say, Kirsten, like, yeah, where do you come down on, like, the general idea of scope and, and delays and, like, should something just take as long as it takes? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's just being realistic. It's having that communication with the devs and saying like, right, this is what we want. How long do you think it would take to get something like this done? Instead of just giving them that ultimatum being like, no, this is how much time you've got. Get it done. And if it's broken, it doesn't matter. We'll, re we'll just release it and you'll fix it afterwards. It's just, it's unfair. It's be, you know, be realistic, communicate with them, find out how long it would take to get something good done. And if it does go over, like if, if, if we know that it's going to be a good game and we can see the potential of it, we'll happily wait. Like we've done it before. We're doing it now, you know, with the current um, situation that we're in. Yeah, it will upset people. And, you know, there will be people that will probably kick off more than they should, but they'll soon come to realize that actually what people are, the reason for that is because they're just trying to make sure that you're getting a game that's worth playing and that it's, it's good and it's released in good condition. And I'm, I don't know. I just think that if someone turned around and said, sorry, it's not ready yet, give us another month or something and it will be polished, it will be good and there'll be no bugs, I'm happy to wait. You know, people need to kind of get over it and just actually understand what these people are going through in order mm -hmm. to, to get these games to us. Most of yeah, the time there's been like, oh, sorry, I'll say just really quickly, most of the time there's been like a tweet or something just saying, hey, by the way, this game is being delayed. The overwhelming response is cool because yeah. like the amount of times it's gone wrong, it speaks yeah. for itself that they just need to have more time. Um, sorry, Josh, what were you gonna say? No, sorry, um, I was just gonna say like, I remember when The Division 1 was coming out because at the mm -hmm. time that was like a hugely ambitious game that was blending, you know, a regular single player um, third person shooter with MMO elements and stuff. And I remember when that release date was announced and there were a bunch of leaks internally from people working on that game, the developers, who were saying, this is madness. There is no way we're going to hit that date. I don't know why Ubisoft has announced it. They're absolute nutters. It's not feasible. <laughs> and of course, it wasn't feasible and it got delayed. So I don't, it, it's, a, it's a very strange thing because even though a lot of people still, you know, are, are very, very okay with things being delayed because obviously it leads to um, a, a better product in the long run, there's still unneeded necessary press from announcing a release date that you know internally you're probably not going to hit. And then mm -hmm. that goes into the question of, you know, the, the crunch needed to hit these release dates. And, and when there's nothing I, I, that grinds my gears more. <laughs> seeing these stories about you know developers putting their all into projects crunching for months if not years at a time having the game come out and then it's still getting slated because it's got a lot mm. of bugs because it still needed more time anyway you just i feel so gutted and deflated for them because it's obviously mm -hmm. it's not their fault they're more or less pushing up against the time and sometimes it's like mismanagement within the studio i'm not saying it's all developers good and all publishers are evil or whatever but it's just it's just exacerbates the problem so much mm -hmm. and i don't mm -hmm. know what the remedy really is. I know, it's always like an ongoing conversation. I just think, like I said, there's there's been like a recent spate of really gorgeous games. Like I said, like Red Dead 2 and Final Fantasy 7 and just they they give such a bar and it was just like going from, like for me, going from Final Fantasy 7 Remake to then looking at the same Fallout bugs again and just kind of being like, oh, like, yeah, this this just needs to stop. Like Bethesda yeah. are more and more the outlier, especially when their contemporaries are able to do these massive large scale RPGs and absolutely nail the scale without, you know, crazy like, <laughs> looks like some time warps going on, some interdimensional black holes opened up <laughs> in the middle of the game and everything's going to hell. Um, so yeah, like I said, it's an ongoing conversation so people can uh, can dive in you can use the hashtag wcgp to submit your thoughts as well we would do another question but we're out of time so we'll do some next time so you can head over there to leave us some stuff but for now this has been the what culture gaming podcast i've been your host scott tilford joined by josh brown goodbye and kirsten rear bye i'll catch you next time bye see ya bye
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.